You know, I, I just can't believe it. We are now only a few days away from the general election, November 3rd, and so many things are still up in the air. Not in terms of the enthusiasm that our good friend Donald Trump is uh, experiencing and enjoying and such like that. I, I think he's doing quite well in that department. The thing that I I think is still up in the air are the things that the Democrats are trying to keep up in the air, including the mail-in ballots. And then there's the issue of the Supreme Court uh, allowing, uh, it's not that they allowed it, they had to let stand the lower court's rulings regarding North Carolina and Wisconsin that mail-in ballots can be counted up to three days after the November 3rd election date, which is, you know, cause for great concern because if either of those two states are in play in any way, uh, then it's going to be too easy for people to just pretend. I mean, it's weird. But then again, it has to be postmarked before November 3rd. So I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to this. It's, it's, a, it's quite absurd to me, the whole standard. Um, wait, comma. So I, I got to tell you, it's, it's a little bit concerning about this standard, especially if it comes down to these states. Now, it's interesting because the Supreme Court has made very clear that they will not, they do not consider the um, counting of the mail-in ballots after November 3rd to be constitutional. They actually said it is likely unconstitutional. Um, and I, I certainly agree with that. And the reason why is that it has a federal impact. But <clears throat> um, they could, they did not have the time to actually uh, articulate a, an opinion reason, a reasoned opinion on this and could not issue it the last second, Lexus. So uh, they will basically have to separate out the votes that, if it even comes down to that, um, to separate out the, the late uh, received mail-in ballots, meaning after November 3rd, into a separate pile. And to the extent that that makes a difference, it'll be decided uh, that these are not to be counted at the end of the day. So it's an interesting thing. Anyway, it, the de Democrats are doing everything they can to tip the balance, of course, in their favor. I don't blame them, but I, I think Ari, uh, Ari's sense that this is going to be a landslide is probably a correct one. And uh, he thinks it's going to be 50 states. That's what I think, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be at least 40 states. But, um, you know, God willing, Ari is, is correct. I would love this to be a sweep. But even if... Here's the, here's the problem. Even if it, were, it was a 50-state sweep, they've set the scenario, the narrative in motion so that they can then claim that somehow Trump stole the election from, the, from them. That's, that's their attempt. And, and it's not a surprise because this is the same um, people to, um, that believe the Russian collusion narrative, right? If, if these people are, you know, are able to argue that the Russians conspired with Donald Trump with no evidence whatsoever, even knowing after the fact that Russia, there was zero evidence to support it, then these people will believe anything, right? That's, that's the bottom line. So they will want to believe that Trump stole the election. And the narrative will, will henceforth go that way. It won't matter. Look, back in the days of 1980, 1984, when, when Ronald Reagan won by a landslide, or for that matter, when Nixon won in a landslide in 1972, <clears throat> at least the Democrats had the decency to just say, okay, and better luck next time, right? Now... Yeah, they don't concede anymore. Yeah, they yeah. don't. Now, if Trump wins by a landslide, even, uh, they will riot in the streets. 
that's what's going to happen. At least that's the threat. Yeah, and also it, there, there's sort of two parts to it. First, they don't concede because they are classless and they want to cause problems. And then when violence occurs, because of the attitudes that they've put out to the public, they never call for calm, which, I mean, we've talked about many times on this uh, podcast. It puts out, uh, gives me the the conclusion or it forces me to draw the conclusion that they want the violence, obviously. Separate issue, you know, we've talked about that before. Um, but clearly those are the things at play here, which is the desperation moves they need to make because they know they can't win. Uh, I think it's going to be a 50-state sweep and the margins of victories in most of those states are going to be so big that it won't matter. Uh, there'll be no controversy. It'll be so overwhelming. And part of that is because the candidate the Democrats have put up is a particularly unattractive person to the voting public. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. Trump is a particularly charismatic person to the voting public. I think you're right. The interesting fact of this is that everyone knows that, I mean, look, one of two men are, are going to win, right? It's either you know, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, and putting aside what we predict the outcome to be. Uh, so if Joe Biden wins, everyone knows that nobody on the right is going to be riding, right? We may, we may have some legal challenges if we think it's really close and it might make a difference, yes. But rioting in the streets, absolutely not. We, it's it, not it, what it, we do. It's not what we do. And they know it. Now, if Trump wins... And we think he will, but that's another story. There is a, we, we all know that there's a very high likelihood that there's going to be riots. Now, God willing, there, there won't be riots or the, the, the anger will be not as manifest as everyone's worried about. But don't forget, in 2016, after, after Trump did win, there was a lot of protesting going on, a lot of people being bashed, a lot of traffic being stopped. Maybe not full-on rioting, but there was a lot of protesting in a very uh, physical way, shall we say. And, and that was... That was back then. So we all know that. Now, as a voter, as somebody that takes on the issues of the Republican cause or the Democrat cause, you got to ask yourself, do I want to be aligned with this party that whenever they lose, they go into full-on tantrums, right? I mean, it's, and, and they know for a fact there will not be a riot if the Republicans win. They just know it. Why, why wouldn't there be some sort of mass-scale riot by all those white supremacists and KKK members and Nazis that they claim to exist out there going out and just beating the crap out of every liberal that they see. If, if there's such a huge onslaught of this problem in America, right? Why don't, why, 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 why don't they worry about that? Because it doesn't exist. Not for a moment does it exist. And the police know it doesn't exist. The, the L.A. Mayor, Garcetti and, and de Blasio, all those from New York, all the liberal mayors know that they have nothing to worry about from conservative voters or Republicans of any kind when it comes to losing election or not getting their way. We don't riot. We just don't. We clean up after ourselves whenever we demonstrate. That's, that's the worst you can say about us. Boy, those guys really, they, they run a tight ship. When we host a mostly peaceful protest, it's completely peaceful. It's very interesting how the percentage of peacefulness of our mostly peaceful protests are 100% or greater. 
Yes, you're so right. All right, so you're, you're right about this. And now, one thing I want to make sure to, to discuss, because it's, it's so fascinating, Ari, I had a debate. This is where I want to go with on this podcast. I had a debate in front of a, um, a high school um, here in Los Angeles, and it was actually a physical debate. I, I appeared, not by Zoom. Um, there were about 70 or so uh, young students there. They were ranging in grades between 9 and 12, and it was really a very respectful crowd. I really liked them a lot. So I was the Republican voice. Uh, I had a gentleman who was a good friend of mine, actually, a lawyer, a very bright guy. He represented the Democrat platform. And it was very well organized. Uh, I really, my hat's off to the school. I'd rather not mention it for, for the time being for all sorts of obvious reasons. But nevertheless, we had our five-minute intro. Uh, the other guy had his five-minute intro. And then we took on issues one at a time. And uh, each of us had two minutes to respond. Sometimes there, there was a rebuttal. Ari, I got to tell you, and we talked about immigration. We talked about tax reform. We talked about uh, why America is great, uh, you know, environmentalism, climate change, all, all the classic issues, race relations, of course. Uh, it was, I mean, I prepared to some extent, but I realized I didn't have to. I, I and I'm not patting myself on the back when I say this, Ari. I slaughtered the other guy. I mean, I really like him. I respect him. I thought he did a, fi a fine job. But I found myself saying, how so? Give me the facts. There's no causation. For example, one of the, one of the big issues was the issue of um, all the fires recently. And uh, shouldn't we do something about climate change once and for all because of all these fires? And I said, really? We're just going to blithely assume that there's a causation between the fires and climate change? Really? I mean, climate change causes these fires? Really? How about the simpler solution, right? I mean, if, if I'm hitting you on the head with a hammer and you're getting a massive hemorrhage in your brain, the answer is stop hammering poor Ari David, right? You wouldn't say, well, let's, let's see about the air pressure in the, uh, in the vicinity, or that perhaps he's uh, getting some sort of internal implosion in his brain. No, you look first to what appears to be the more obvious cause of the problem. And then if you determine that that might be one way of resolving the problem, in this case, pulling the hammer away and seeing if that does the trick, then you can say, well, the internal implosions in his brain are not actually the cause of it, right? But that's the way these liberals think. They, they, they decide so badly, they want so badly that climate change is responsible for every disaster that has ever happened on the planet, at least in the past uh, 50 or so years. So climate change causes fires, climate change causes hurricanes, climate change causes drought and floods and, and famine for that matter. Soon it'll be that climate change causes earthquakes, you'll see. That's, that's their go-to answer for everything. So I said, that's not good enough. I'll call him John. John, that's not good enough. You can't connect those dots. And until you can, I'm not taking you seriously. And, and everyone seemed to be, you know, thunderously in agreement with me on this. You need to show, connect these dots. And he couldn't. And they talked about, generally speaking, about paying one's fair share 
right in taxes. And the regulations are so important in order to make sure that we have these great things. And I said, okay, show me. Show me. These regulations, you can, you can, you can show me a couple of regulations that work, but we look at regulations with a very skeptical eye. We look at them as a disastrous for the economy. We should be very, very judicious about whatever regulation we impose. And likewise with taxes. You, know, you say fair share. What is the fair share? You, you Democrats say this all the time. All right, my point is that it was just too easy. And what do we take away from this? What are we to do and what are we to learn from this debate? Again, I'm not patting myself on the back. I found it exceptionally easy. I, I felt like, uh, you know, I'm going to go in a race and uh, I'm running against uh, some kindergartners. Really, that's the way I felt. And then I, you know, I, I pumped my fist in the air because I, I won this race, but it was against kindergartners. And I'm, you know, you would, ex you would expect me to win. So what can we learn from this? Ari, I think we can learn that our, our side, our, our arguments are so strong, as long as we know a little something about them, we don't have to be experts in any of them. And, and all you have to do is it's learn about tax policy, understand the, the crippling effect of regulations, understand the, the history of America and, and its notion of limited government, how we celebrate the human spirit, and how different that makes us from the rest of the world. How we do love God, yeah, that's right how we are different, and how we Americans have invented virtually everything that the world now enjoys and discovered all the, the, the cures for diseases that the world now enjoys, and all the entertainment that the world now enjoys, all the jeans and clothing and fashions and food, for that matter, that the world now enjoys. There are very few things that we enjoy today that, that, that were not invented in America. Yeah, the wheel, <laughs> that was not invented in America, for sure. There are many things, of course. But the vast majority of things that you enjoy today, that you use today, think about all the things you use today. I'm, I'm looking in this conference room, for example, Ari. I see a computer invented in America. I see seltzer water. <laughs> that was invented, created in America. I see a TV invented in America. Light bulbs. Um, light bulbs. And air conditioning vents. Air, oh, thank you. I didn't even think about it. Air conditioning, invented in America. Even this dry erase board that I have here, invented in America. The harnessing of electricity, generally speaking, invented in America. The iPhone. It, the, uh, yep, the iPhone, beautiful. The telephone, the, the iPhone, the, the, it, the... telephone, the internet, right? The email system. I, I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. Even I'm looking at some sunglasses. I pressed, sunglasses were invented here. Okay. So almost every, the refrigerator, which is in the kitchen nearby, that was invented in America, right? Yeah, but, all the plastic things that yes. work as either insulators, as garbage removers, as sanitation devices, or yeah. um, you know, hygienic products, all of it. I, I have an Alexa here in the, uh, in the office, which is not turned on, thank God. But, uh, you know, of course, invented in America. And I have a hat here made in China. Another hat. <laughs> but outsourced by Americans. But outsourced. Right. It's anyway. That, outsourcing invented by America. That's exactly right. The efficiency no, associated look, with the outsourcing economy. Outsourcing invented by Democrats. And, you know. Outside, okay. Anyway, so that's, these are things that we need to ask ourselves. Why is that so? I mean, is it just that we're cooler or do we have better resources? The answer is no, we don't. It's not because we have resources. 
It's because the way we manipulate resources, the way we exploit them, and, and these are good words, by the way, not, not a classically bad way of, of interpreting those words. Um, Japan, by the way, has virtually no resources, um, and it still does very well, right? By contrast, Africa has a tremendous amount of resources, and most African nations are extremely poor. In fact, almost Gee, all of them are. I wonder why. Yeah, it's about it, it's about an economic system and dictatorships that uh, apply there. So, uh, Israel has yeah, certainly, until very recently, has literally zero natural resources, literally, and yet it's one of the most powerful economic powerhouses in the world. To say nothing of its extraordinary military and uh, technology center and everything else. Okay. So you got to wonder why, and you got to be able to answer these questions, and and say it with great joy. Say it with great like how would I mean? Ari said it a long time ago. I, I've I've been adopting it ever since. Why wouldn't you be a conservative? Why wouldn't you be a Republican? Put the onus on them. And and that's how I spoke yesterday, in this debate. I think people really appreciated it, and they they didn't appreciate. And we'll, again, we'll call him John. They didn't appreciate John's kind of platitudes, um, especially when he wasn't able to demonstrate that, that the Democrat Party was, had ever delivered on anything. And then I gave him my bold challenge, which you know. Uh, name me any... Um, Democrat uh, policy that Republicans opposed that ever worked. Correct. There you go. And any I Democrat... Yes, thank you. Any Democrat policy that Republicans have opposed that has ever worked. And he couldn't bring up anything. He couldn't. Uh, which is fascinating to me. I mean, he didn't even try. And that is, you know, the, the, the what works concept is a very powerful one. And it's, it's very similar to what Trump did back in 2016 when he said, what have you got to lose? Right? And he made people think. Now, let's move on from there to the black vote, since that, that was a, uh, a thing that, that he had mentioned regarding um, you know, the 2016 election. The black vote appears to be going strongly, much more strongly in favor of Trump. And, and we're always fascinated you know, to ask the question why here, right? Because this is a, you know, by any measure, that the, the most pessimistic, from our point of view, uh, percentage of black, blacks voting uh, for Trump is 20%, and the most optimistic is hovering around 40%. Some to almost 50 in some cases. And, oh, almost 50? So okay. 46% approval, which doesn't necessarily translate into actual votes, but a 46% approval is almost half of, of black voters approving. For sure, president. for sure. I know that there's, there's, and they're gung ho about it. And uh, now, so let's just take the middle, let's say 30, okay? Even 25, just, just to be conservative in our estimate, right? 25%. Hillary Clinton lost when Trump got only, and I put only in quotes, 12% of the black vote, okay? That itself was much higher than the classic 8% that conservatives get among the black vote in previous years, right? So when Obama was, and he was a black president, so kind of there's a little additional factor there because he was black, but still, only seven or eight percent of conservatives voted for, uh, sorry, uh, blacks voted for the conservative party back then. Then with 12 percent, only with 12 percent of the vote, Trump was able to still pull it out and win 
Now we're talking about more than double that, 25%. And again, that is a conservative estimate. A conservative. Uh, if you will, pessimistic. Yes, pessimistic. pessimistic. Thank you. That's Low a good point. end of the right. scale. So more than twice, more than twice the previous black percentage voting for Trump than in 2016, which would be a pessimistic estimate or prediction. I, I mean, it's really remarkable. And the question is why? Yeah, and we're <clears> discussing <throat> the possibility of Trump losing. Excuse <clears throat> me. Now you know why I'm at the point of saying, well, I think it's 50 states. Because when I see the, bl the black vote <clears throat> potentially be almost half the black voters voting for Trump, that's a 50-state sweep. That's, understand, that's where it translates to. Yeah. That takes every major liberal urban area and flips them in their state to allow the rest of the state to go Republican. I think you're right. I think you're right. Look at, look at Philadelphia, by the way, <clears throat> which, of course, is in Pennsylvania, a so-called swing state. And uh, everyone's estimating that that's, you know, more or less a tie. Biden is supposedly ahead in the polls by a couple of points. But Philadelphia alone tells you everything you need to know. And I think this, this was from a New York Times article. Yeah. And it buried in, uh, in the article, deep, way, deep, deep into the article, yeah. right? It says, worrisome for Joe Biden is the following fact. And what is that following fact? That 24% of people in Philadelphia, the major city of Pennsylvania, of course, are planning to vote for Trump. Yeah, and you would go, well, that's only a quarter. Why is that a problem? The rest of the state, idiots. <laughs> that's a, the blue center of Philadelphia carries Pennsylvania blue, but it has to go almost entirely. It, it, they need... In order to balance out. Right. Yeah. The Democrat needs about 80%, almost 90% of the vote in Philadelphia alone to go blue to carry Pennsylvania. That's right. And there the you go. And the fact that's only at 76%, that ain't going to do it. Okay, so that's exactly right. And the problem, in addition, the additional fact there that's so important to remember is that Philadelphia in 2016 was only 14%. Republican. Republican, yeah. So now we're looking at almost a 10-point jump in that, and that is going to substantially affect the presidential election vis-a-vis -vis Pennsylvania. Right. So, so we walk around with our own experience here in West L.A., and we see that anywhere from a third to a half of the voters are Trump supporters, and we see no Biden-Harris signs out here, that's right. why I say 50-cent state sweep, because I see Trump is winning California based on how badly uh, Los Angeles is going for the Democrat. Yeah, the Democrat will win Los Angeles, obviously, but not by enough. Right, so yeah, you'll see a similar percentage going for, for Trump. Uh, here in Los Angeles, as you might in Philadelphia. I don't want to get too far afield into the prediction game and why he's going to win and such like that. I, I simply want to talk about the, the, the big overall picture. But before I conclude that, this section of the, uh, the podcast, I want to say the, st the name of one state and why it's so significant. No one's talking about it. No one. Not even Fox. It's a state called Ohio. Remember how Ohio has to be won by the Republican in order for him to have any hope of winning the presidency? I don't, I don't, there's some sort of a uh, yeah, you know, incredible words, standard. What Barack is saying is a Republican has never won an election nationally without carrying Ohio. Right. Okay, so, that so 
Ohio is going to be won by Trump. And despite the effort to call it a tie, uh, they're not even calling it a tie. They, they are acknowledging that Trump is going to win. He's got like a 4% lead there, something like that, depending on the poll, of course, that you're looking at. And which, to our mind, means you add seven. That means 11, <laughs> at least 11%, 11 maybe, 15, maybe even yeah. 15. So how it is that Trump could be leading in Ohio and yet still be way behind in the national poll, something in the order of, depending on which poll you look at, anywhere between 4% behind to 10% behind, uh, that doesn't jive for me. That, to me, is proof positive that you've got some monkey business going on. Okay? With the polling in this case. With the polling, of course, yeah. Being media bias, bad sampling, uh, poll people being polled who are Trump supporters saying, oh, no, I'm voting for Biden, hanging up and going, ah! You know, that yes. whole, any of those possibilities or altogether. Well, the, the, you know, it's so funny how liberals, you know, mock us for uh, talking about the so-called shy Trump voter and that we are overestimating the extent of the shy Trump voter. Dude, <laughs> there is a silent majority going on. Um, and we're all shy. I mean, look, you and I are, are very involved in this podcast. I have my Sunday show. I'm, I'm, I'm outspoken. I've, I've written many articles about that. I've, I've given speeches right and left. And even I am shy to kind of announce it to the, to the rest of the world. Yeah, I actually uh, I read an article by Joel Pollack about this subject. He, Pollack from Breitbart lives in Santa Monica, and he t wrote an article about how he put a Trump sign on his lawn to, with great positive feedback. So I put my Trump sign up on my lawn and I'm getting great feedback. So there's a lot, oh, and my next door neighbor who I had no idea was conservative came up to me after seeing the sign and saying, I see you like Trump. I go, yeah, he goes, I do too. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, and you never knew it. Yeah, yeah you never knew it. No, I had no idea. That's hysterical. So yeah, and, and you're hearing a lot of people uh, saying that they are assuming uh, that their neighbors are Trump supporters, which is great. Uh, so even if, if they are themselves voting for Biden, they are assuming that their neighbors are voting for Trump. And, and look, we're all quiet about it. It's really remarkable. And then, of course, the last thing to point out is the obvious, which is the rallies, right? The Trump and his rallies. Man, oh, man. Uh, I mean, this guy can command a rally. It's as many as there are. And, and I know that there's going to be a new rally every day, practically, maybe three a day for that matter. If it happens to be on TV when I see it, I sit down and I listen. And to me, it's engaging. It's fun. Uh, it pumps me up. But he speaks with uh, not only energy, but he speaks with substance. He actually says things that think, oh, yeah, that's a good point. So I'm always learning from this guy. And I'm never bored. These... these um, these rallies, he seems to have it's a different the talk. Best thing on TV. It's he, he, has the, he, he has the best talking points. I mean, really, it's so interesting. And it is very engaging. I, I mean, I'd rather watch him than watch uh, a lot of the TV that's out there. It's, really, it's, really, it's truly fascinating. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say it's must-watch TV. I'll watch the same rally. I've been, I now go over to C-SPAN to watch his rallies daily when I'm home. And I, I would never put on the TV during the day, but I'll put it on to watch his rallies. And I'll watch the same rally when it's rebroadcast on C-SPAN at night. It's so good. Right. It's such 
good TV. The man is funny. He is essentially the best stand-up comedian working today. He's hysterical. He is hysterical. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I don't mind watching repeats either. It's a little bit like watching one of your favorite movies, let's say Animal House or Back to the Future. Mine is Back to the Future. I love it. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. You, you don't mind seeing it again and again because, frankly, it's a, it's a work of art, right? Or, or just a pure enjoyment. Raider, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Star Wars, you name it. You see it over and over again. And why wouldn't you want to see the speeches of Trump again? Because he's just so engaging and, and so interesting. And he has a way of saying, listen, this is what is. And then you find out, yeah, that's what is. When he told you the outrageous statement that his administration, no, his, his campaign was being spied upon by the Obama administration, you know, a lot of my liberal friends, uh, you know, called me out on that, saying, well, that's, oh, you got a crazy guy there. I got to tell you, what a conspiracist that guy is. Woo, wacky, wacky. And it turns out he was 100% right. Not, not mostly right. Not a little bit right. A hundred percent right. hundred percent right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And, and, then, and then he goes on 60 Minutes with, uh, what's her name? Leslie something. That woman, uh, the interviewer. And he says the Russian collusion thing and that had they spied on me in the campaign. And she said, sir, we are 60 Minutes. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't say this sort of thing, uh, you know, unless uh, there's a lot of backup for that. And like, lady... There's a hell of a lot of backup for this. In fact, there's a whole investigation going on because of all the emails and everything else. We know it was a fraud, but we, we, we have to, see, we have to present video surveillance facts of such things in order for us to be considered seriously. Right. right. We need to have but they, actual, but they get to, actual video right. of Obama sneaking around in a hat like a Watergate plumber break-in <laughs> artist, right. sneaking around and running a little wire to Trump's telephone and putting on the headphones and sitting there listening like a little snoop right. for, for the liberal in the media or the liberals out in society to believe it. Even then, they would argue that somehow the, uh, the, the video was doctored. It's it was, it was it's photoshopped. Or whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then Jack Dorsey and Zuckerberg will tell you, we can't share this. It was hacked. Right. So, and then, yeah, or, or that the Russian operatives were the ones who released the Hunter Biden right. emails, right? Yeah. So, so, but by contrast, all that it takes for liberals to attack the, 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 the Russian, the, the conservative wow. cause is simply to say, oh, there are white supremacists out there. They, they support him. Oh my gosh. Or sources and, 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 say. And suddenly, yeah, sources say, anonymous uh, sources say, and, and they're good to go. They're, they're off to the races. Of course, we have to undo it later yeah, on. There's a whistleblower. He blew a whistle. Now, whenever we, they, they Oswald, wherever we talk, they say we're blowing a dog whistle. So right. it gets to type of whistle. I got Well, okay. I, I, now, you, now you're being a little silly here, but I, but I understand no, but you what you're know saying. What I mean. They say we, when we talk, they say it's a dog whistle. When we uh, say, well, who is your whistleblower? What whistle are they blowing? What is the substance? How dare you ask? I know, of course. Uh, and, and they always say this is the downfall of Donald Trump. This is the end, right? Yeah, democracy like, dies in darkness. <laughs> Right. All right. So, look, the takeaway from all of this, and this is how we'll wrap it up. The takeaway from all of this is that we need to be strong. We need to understand our conservative values. We have to understand what America stands for, why America is liberty, why America has succeeded, has invented so many great things, has, has accomplished so much for the rest of the world, and why so much of the rest of the world wants to run 
not walk, run to America with all of her blessings. I wonder why. And yet somehow they want to, they, they want to hate America. That's not a narrative that runs with Americans, I got to tell you. I, 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 look, God willing, Trump will win and win by a landslide. I just, you know, truly we don't know, right? But let's put it this way. Both Ari and I would be wildly surprised if Trump loses. Uh, I just can't see it. It, it. To us, it's as if the Biden campaign, and for that matter, the, the Democrat Party, wants to lose as much as possible. They, all the circumstances are such indicating that the Democrats want to lose, right? I mean, they put up this old man that is clearly suffering a mental decline. Yeah, this bleak vision, these idiotic policies. He's not even campaigning. He's not even trying. All he's running are idiotic commercials that no one believes, and you fast-forward through commercials now anyway. It's just, it, there's there's no effort. He hides in the know? basement. He has the Hunter Biden situation. He has Kamala Harris as his running mate, who's a, you know, basically a prostitute. Uh, and, and I say that quite literally. So uh, th these are big problems for them. And oh, then if let me help you with that. Yes, people, an actual prostitute. Right. You know, yes. Okay. And for a lot more, for, for money and a lot more than money. Right. All right, my friends. And a lot less. All right, my friends. So listen, uh, our next podcast will be after the election. God willing, we will have a, uh, a winner one way or the other. Uh, we do think it's going to be Trump. But God bless you all. Uh, God help this country. And God bless America. I'm Brock Lurie signing off. Until next time, this is The Brock Lurie Show.